Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. If you'd like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. I am about being on time. I am not starting for 35 seconds. We get to 10. I want to count down. You ready? All right, here we go. Here we go. Hold Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. 10, 9, 8. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right. Okay, have a good day. It was great. Oh, wait, wait. Um, All the youth staff that work, that are adults that work with tribes, would you stand up? Come here, come here, come here, come here. I know you hate this. I know. I can see Kristen's going, I hate this. Come here. Come on, Josh. Come here. Cindy, come here. Stand right here, right here, right here. You got to get on Facebook Live or something. I don't know. (laughs) Teen leaders, come here. Come up on stage with me. Come here. Come up here. You can jump up, Luke. Go ahead, jump. That a boy. Oh, Will, 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 you all right? Okay, come on, Will. All right, Blair. All right, so I show up at church today at 8.45. Three, four, five cars in the parking lot. And I walk in the doors and I look through the cafe area and I see on the back patio people sitting at a picnic table. It's these people. And I walked out the door and I said to them, you have just made my day. These teen leaders right here are leading our young people in tribes by the example of their life. Are they perfect? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Do they love Jesus? Mm-hmm. And they are the teen representatives of tribes youth ministry. Right? So when I showed up today and I saw them having patio church, I went, come on now, my young people with nobody asking them to have patio church. And I mean, you ought to have seen the spread on the picnic table. We're talking pancakes and, and yogurt and, and orange juice and egg souffle thingies. Well, there were definitely donuts. What were those egg things? Egg muffins and muffin muffins. I mean, it was a full out picnic church thing going on. I was so excited to see them doing church. I'm like, let's just all go out to the picnic table today and just have church with these guys. We'll let them preach. These people right here are gold. I have done youth ministry for a lot, a lot of years. Some of them have more hair than others. I have done youth ministry for a lot of years. But I have said this over and over and over, and I've said this to Nathan This is the best starting team of youth adult leader servers that I have ever had, ever. 
If you want to know if we have adults that love the teenagers of this church, these people represent that incredibly well. You can be a proud that God has placed in this body these people to love a generation of young people that desperately need to see representatives of Christ. I am thankful for them. And I just wanted to give them their moment in the limelight to see this body, these people, pray for them, right? The youth culture needs Jesus, right? Don't say it too loud. The the adult culture needs Jesus. They said, yep. Give these guys a great big hand. I am blessed by them. Thank you. Thanks. You are dismissed. Thank you. So Thursday morning, I get a phone call from a guy by the name of Pastor Nathan Herndon. He says, Tom, I have this opportunity to take my family and to go on a surprise getaway. Can you preach on Sunday? And I said, absolutely. I can do that. This morning, I want to preach a message that's been on my heart for probably at least a decade, probably longer. It's entitled, Jesus in the Culture and the Pharisee. And I want to talk about the culture of Jesus Christ and what he was going through in his day and how it relates to us today and what was it about the Pharisee. How many of her today, we, we, when we drive to get here from Mechanicsburg, we take back roads the whole way. Um, the only road that's a four-lane is 15. When we get off 15 in Dillsburg and we drive through Franklin Town, East Berlin, to get here, it's all two-lane road, right? Going out of Franklin Town, coming towards East Berlin, not getting close yet, Somebody pulls out in front of us and goes 35 miles an hour in a 45. And Cindy says something to the effect, oh, here we go. And about maybe a mile down the road, they pulled into the United Methodist Church. And I went, God love them, they're going to church but thank you, God, for letting them go to church really quick. So I want to talk about, there's two kinds of roads, right? You ever been out in the LA area? There's like like eight lanes. Like, I mean, it's crazy. Like, it's massive traffic. Have you ever been on a two-lane road and gotten behind those people that go below the speed limit on the two-lane and there's no passing zones? I want to talk about today... There's two kinds of roads we can travel in this world. One is wide, and there's many on that road. And there's one that's narrow, and there are few. Because I have had this for a long time in my life where I feel like I must address the Pharisee that is in all of us. Some of us live the Pharisaical lifestyle. Some of us just let the Pharisee have symptoms in us every now and then. Let me share this story with you. When I was coming out of Christ Community Church, I can still remember, and I've talked about this from the front when I was just kind of stripped naked before God. And oh, by the way, 
I got to say this before I go on. You two guys in the white T-shirts and the gal that had the jean jacket on who has now taken the jean jacket off, you guys are carriers of the presence of God. I was just like, I could hang out with those people. You guys carry something in your heart that's contagious. Keep going. Your generation, right? Bring it. Bring it. Anyway, I'll sign up. Okay. So, so coming out of that and having the title pastor stripped off of my life and not knowing where I was going. So I, I didn't have a what I did and I didn't have a title. It's in those moments, I still remember this very vividly, standing in the front of the mirror in the morning, getting ready, looking at myself, now post-title, no church responsibility person, and saying to myself out loud, you are more religious than you thought you were. I was like, ah, you don't know how quickly the tentacles of your identity get wrapped up in what you do until you don't have a what you do. And so many of us, we, we identify with, well, I play the drums, I play guitar, I'm on the worship team, and I can promise you that even those of us that stand behind a pulpit and preach the word of God, it entangles us, and the, the power of the enemy, he's a deceiver, Right? The power of the enemy to deceive us into thinking our identity is what we do becomes entangled around us, and we don't know it until we don't have the what we do. So here is my question. If you sing on a worship team or you stand and teach the word of God, if it was all stripped from you today, what would you find standing in front of the mirror? And I promise you it would be different than what you think. Because I stood in the house of God and preached what it is to be a son of the living God. But you don't get to really practice that until you don't have an identity in what you do. You get to realize when it's all stripped away, you're just always, you have always been a son. You have always been a daughter. All of this that I do here or these people do here is not their identity. It's simply what they do to express who God is in their life. However, for all of us, because identity is such a crucial thing in our lives, we let tentacles wrap around us not knowing it's even happening. And we find ourselves getting offended if I don't get to do this. And why did that person get to sing and I didn't? And if you get offended about that kind of stuff, then you have to stand in front of the mirror and go, well, then what part of the Pharisee is in me? Because it's not about what I get to do. It will only ever be about who I am. Who I am is wrapped up in the identity of a son of the living God. It is not that I get to stand and preach at Providence Community Church. It is what I do. But if this was all, I have finally, after all these years, I think come to the place where if it was all stripped away, I'd be okay, and I would look in the mirror and go, but I know I'm a son. But can I tell you how long and hard that journey is and that God will test you on the path? 
And he will strip things from you and not let you have opportunities because he is more concerned about who you're becoming than what you get to do in front of people. See, Pharisees, right? Pharisees wanted to be noticed by people. So when you're clamoring to be the guest kind of featured vocal person up here and somebody else gets it and you don't, and that hurts you, you probably have Pharisee in you. Because you want to be noticed and it's more about you than it is about us. So I love the fact that Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. Now we can all quote that scripture, but then he wants us to live it and that's where it goes out. Because when I serve, I get under and I'm not noticed and it's not about me and it's not on a platform. It's I just get to serve. I came in this morning And every Sunday morning I come in here, I'm looking at people, and I tend to kind of walk and wander and just look. And I was asking myself, I wonder what kind of church people had this week. Because when I come in on a Sunday morning anymore, if this is all the church you get, you might be a Pharisee. Because every opportunity all through the week, I'm looking, where can I have church today? Can I tell you what kind of church I had this week? I had tree stand building church (laughs) with a really good friend on this back patio. And we got to share Jesus together while building a tree stand. I love tree stand church. You know why? Because he, the guy that I was building with didn't go, hey, Pastor Tom. So, Tom. Because it's not a title. We're just two brothers sharing. And guess what? We're both preaching. We're sharing life together. Yesterday, I had Jeep church, driving out the turnpike with two brothers to go to the woods. One was my biological brother. One was a a guy from Life Center. And we're driving out to go to the woods. And um, when we got out of the Jeep, we did UTV church, um, um, ultra-terrain vehicle church that I backed into a tree and broke the lens on somebody's Polaris Ranger that was not mine. How many know that's a fun conversation when you get back and go, oh, by the way, I backed your Polaris Ranger into a tree. I have already bought the replacement lens. Settle down. So I'm, I'm sitting in the Jeep, and I've got, I've got an hour with two brothers and, and I didn't have a microphone or a platform. I was sitting behind a steering wheel listening to my brothers and myself all share what was going on in our journeys with Christ. I have to tell you that in my value system of life, that is the greater church for me right now. I love when we all get to preach and we all get to share and we all get to encourage each other. And nobody asks for the microphone or a platform. They don't build their identity on a title. I'm a part of the Providence worship team. I don't care. I'm a part of the back patio worship team. I was sitting in a chair out there on Tuesday morning, and a deer come up, and I go, oh, you want to have church with me? Cool. I mean, it's 20 yards from me. I'm like, let's have church. We're two or three. I don't know. Deer? Yeah, two. Okay, you and me. Let's have church. I want to take you to Matthew 26. This is where it gets real. Because here here is my concern with the culture we're living in today, right? 
that we as the body of Christ had made the road wider than God intended for it to be. And we're allowing some things in the body of Christ that don't fit the narrow road. And the reason we don't want to be on the narrow road is because it's too slow. I don't like it when people go 35 and a 45. I want to get on the superhighway and I want to blow by you going 75 miles an hour in a 65. Right? In a Jeep, you just let the hair wave through. I mean, some of my hair. I had several people go, you look different today. I know I don't have a hat on, okay? <laughs> Matthew chapter 26, uh, or I'm sorry, 23, starting with verse number one. Here's a good heading for you. It, I don't know what your Bible says. Mine says a warning against hypocrisy. This could get dangerous. Hold on to your seats. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. I'm just warning you, it's about to get dangerous here. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. If all you do is come to church on Sunday, but you're not looking to have church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes that church should include, and you wonder why is he looking at his phone? Because that's what everybody does in church, right? The ministry of being a little bit further along. No church can survive solely upon the labors of its pastors. No church can thrive when the expectation is all that ministry must be formal and must originate from the front of the room. No church can remain healthy when it falls to the elders to give and the members to consume. Rather, the work of the ministry within a local church is the privilege and the responsibility of each of the people who makes that church their own. One of the most important ministries that any Christian can engage in is also one of the most unheralded. See, this is where the problem lies. One of the ministries that is key to the functioning of the local church and to the advancement in the Christian life is also one of the most overlooked. It is the simplest of all ministries and the least formal. A ministry that each of us is equipped to carry out, it is the ministry of being just a little bit further along. There is a place in the church and a place in life for expertise and formal training. But there is a much wider place for simple commitment and involvement. The great majority of the help people need as they navigate life's trials, the great bulk of the counsel people seek as they encounter life's questions does not require the input of experts but merely the attention of someone who knows God and who knows his word. They do not need someone who has access to the original languages or who exploits the scriptures at a postgraduate level. They do not need someone who holds credentials from a Christian counseling organization or who has dedicated a whole lifetime to studying theology. These things are good, and they have their place, and I agree. But they are not often truly necessary. 
What most people need and long for as they face fiery trials and encounter questions is simply the dedicated attention of someone who is just a little bit further along. The listening ear and the gentle voice of someone who is a few steps ahead on the path of life or the path of ministry or the path of suffering or the path of parenting. Most are merely seeking someone who will informally mentor them from the perspective of their own successes and failures their own experiences of good and bad, the godly wisdom they have accumulated along the way. What's so wonderful about this is ministry is all that we, is is what we can all take, is that we can all take it up. For each of us is just a little bit further along than someone else. The father with the toddlers is a little bit further than the father with an infant. The mother who lost a child 10 years ago to the one whose child has only just been laid in the grave. The Christian teen, talking to you. The Christian teen has taken a few more steps along the path of life than the child. The Christian senior, than the one in their 40s. Each of them can prayerfully look back and extend a helping hand, a word of advice, a prayer of intercession to a person following along behind. Each of them can take up this ministry of blessing and encouragement, of word and prayer, of time and attention, for they have the one key credential. They're a little bit further along. See, when you talk about ministry that way, that includes the whole clan of people in this room, everybody. There is not one person exempt from ministry. When you just love somebody because you're just a little bit further along than they are. But you see, you know what the Pharisee does? He blames everything that happens in a body to the people that stand here. Because you know what the tendency is? We hired you. No, you didn't hire me. I chose to serve here. I'm not a hireling. I'm a son of God who has chosen to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, in the process, you get to be a part of the journey. And because I'm 65, I'm probably a little further along than most people in this room. And so I pray all the time that my life is getting just a little bit more mature. You know how maturity happens according to the Bible? The fiery trial. The tribulation we go through in our life. Anybody exempt from that today? We all have them. It says the fiery trial is what matures our faith. So we go into this passage in, in, in um, I want to jump down to verse number 12 in Matthew 23. Look what it says. The greatest among you, well, let me do verse 11. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Kind of a crazy scripture, isn't it? Isn't it true that 
we all have identity issues and that we somehow want to feel value. And so we put our value in what we do and we want somebody else to see how important I am. When all along, all God's ever saying is, you're my son, you're my daughter. And for us to look back in the mirror and go, and that's enough. That's all that ever mattered. I only need one approval, and that's the father that I serve. Now, would I love to have your approval? Sure, I would love to have your approval. Am I striving to gain your approval? No, because it may make my wide have to go wider than I know God's calling me to make it. And so we have a culture that is trying to extend the boundaries of the road that God has called us to walk that is narrow and few will find it. And have great concern, great concern. The Pharisee was a person who studied the word and prayed and was so close to the real thing they thought they were. My prayer last night as I was agonizing over this message was, Holy Spirit, would you strip the deception that lays on our hearts that tells us we're on the road to heaven, but I'm going to choose to live my life however I want when I leave this building. It doesn't work that way. Now, will we make mistakes? Will we sin? Well, yeah, come on, join the club. And that's why I'm glad we can sing songs like Gable Price, I know is a part of writing, where, where that death on a cross took all my sin. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. Here you go. You ready for this? There is no such thing in the Bible as a sinner's prayer. What is in this Bible is repent and be baptized. Repent means I'm choosing to change my lifestyle, to follow this book as closely as I can. And let me tell you, folks, sometimes it's easy to get in the ditches of life and to get outside the walls of the narrow road. <clears throat> well, Tom, how will I know? <clears throat> when I make it a four-lane highway instead of a two-lane highway. How will I know when I make it wider than it should be? Well, here's a good guide. And there's also this thing Jesus left us. It's a person called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will convict us when we get outside the bounds of the narrow road and call us to get back on the narrow road. But somehow, and in some cases, what I'm seeing happen in the body of Christ is we're expanding the road to be wider than what my Bible says is allowed. You ready? Here we go. So, ooh, identity. In Matthew 26, verse 63, you can read that they called him the son of man and the son of God. Because he was deity, he was divinely sent from heaven, but he came as a human being. You and I are called a son or a daughter of God in line with the heritage that Christ has set before us when we say that, Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. When I talk about the lifestyle of a Pharisee, I'm talking about the person 
that goes through the motions of being a Christian, but underneath the layers has a lifestyle of sin. You ready? This could, this could, you, if you have a stone, you might want to throw it. There are sins talked about in the Bible that are very black and white. That in this culture today, we've made gray. Because we want to be outside the lines of the narrow road. I can tell you this, this is the standard of the word of God. The culture is going here, and the truth that is to be centered here, the culture seems to be going here. What moved? Did God's standard change? Mm -mm. We have expanded the word of God to include my sin. You ready to dive into this? Matthew 15, 7 through 9. This is going to hurt. I'm just warning you. Just remember, this is God's word, not Tom's words. Matthew, 7, Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Hmm. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. The, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So in the beginning of time, Jesus said, you can eat from the tree of life, but you can't eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Life is a series of life and death situations for me, choices. I don't live my life by what is right and what is wrong. I live my life by what brings life to me and others and what brings death. There's power of life and death in the tongue. Remember the message from last week about lifeblood and that what comes out of the mouth comes from the abundance of the heart? So that when I speak about somebody, if I, if I talk to him about her and I speak critically and harshly about another individual, we call that gossip. But somehow we make it okay in our mind because we're only concerned about them. So we widen the road. And we make it okay to have a little gossip in our life because it makes me feel better about talking to that person about that person because I have a little bit of Pharisee in me. I have to look better than that person. I wonder... Sometimes everything we sing that's on a screen, do we really believe and walk? Because how many know it's easy to sing it with the lips and say the words, but not have the character of who I am to follow up with those things that come out of my lips? And so my simple thing is, who are you? Who are you? That was the great, dichotomy of my life that prior to some of the some of the life journey that I've been through that what I did was important to me but the what I did fell off when I understood it was really only ever about who I was becoming so that when I wake up in the morning and I say this often to Cindy and I do not walk perfectly in this and I think I probably said it from this platform 
My goal is to be gentle, kind, loving, joyful, peaceful, faithful. I want to represent the fruits of the Spirit and be the character of Christ. And then my what I do and the titles I'm given matter if that becomes the primary of my life. If the primary of my life and what I feel like I'm gaining in my Christian faith is based on what I do, I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. Now listen to me. I know all of you would say, I know that, Tom. I understand that. But I'm telling you, some of you are living in it and don't know you're living in it. So my prayer today was, Holy Spirit, would you just convict where you need to convict because you do it way better than any words I can share? Because of the power of your word, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the heart, this book does. Matthew 16, 5 says the following. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. How many know a little leaven, leavens, a little leaven kind of ruins the whole loaf, right? So when we come in and we have a pharisaical heart or a pharisaical lifestyle, how many know we need to get that out of our heart? Now, the thing that's interesting is I studied the Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee, right? But how many know when you get knocked off your high horse and you get blinded on a Damascus road, how many know you might want to give up the lifestyle of a Pharisee? And Paul starts out his ministry and he says this. He said, I am Paul called to be an apostle of Christ. When Paul writes his last writings, anybody know what he says at the end? I am Paul, the chiefest of sinners. Because what he recognized was, remember when he says this, the things I want to do, I know I should do, but the things I do, I don't do. I, I, I mean, he's all like, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't do the things I know I want to do. Have you ever been there? You ever ever just went, God, I'm trying. And then I have to sing a song about the cross because I got to go there and know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He rose again on the third day. I got some hope to be delivered from the heart of a Pharisee. Because here's the issue, guys. I'm preaching a message that really talks about the rest of your eternity. It's not about here and now. It's not about this world and this life. This is dress rehearsal. Cindy and I were talking on the way down, and I said, I don't know what made me say this, but I said, can you just picture heaven? People all over the world who call themselves followers of Christ, we're going to be there. From Thailand, from Iran, from North Vietnam, from North Korea, from Argentina from Costa Rica, from Guatemala, from Australia, from England, from Russia. We're all going to be there. If you're part of the few that stays on the narrow road. All right, so Tom, how narrow is this road? I'm glad you asked. Let's go. (sighs) I'm going to read down through this list real quick. You might be religious if you're easily offended. If you weren't here the last time I preached, I said the following. The degree to which you are easily offended is a display of your spiritual maturity. 
Jesus is being beaten to a brutal death on the cross. And what does he say? I'm offended. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Oh, I'm supposed to follow Jesus' example. I'm going to say this really straightforward. Get over being offended. And if and when you get offended, because you will, don't, don't run to the person you're offended with immediately. You may have to go to Jesus and work it out with him and just get over it. Because the minute I take it to my brother and I say, Jason, I'm offended, he goes, oh, you're offended? Now he's got all the mental gymnastics to practice the rest of his life like Tom's offended. Are there times to lay your gift at the altar and get up and go and confront the one you're offended with or offended you? Absolutely. Do we have to do it every time? Absolutely not. There's times you're offended with somebody and they don't even know you're offended. But now they're offended because you're offended and you told them you're offended. Those who are Pharisees are easily offended. Those who have relationship of intimacy are hard to offend. Those who are Pharisaical highlight others' faults. Those who are in relationship and intimacy highlight others' values. Those who are religious and Pharisaical come to church for themselves. They're an audience. Those who have relationship with intimacy come to church to celebrate the week with Jesus because you realize that Jeep Church and patio church, and neighbor church are possible. And work church, it's all possible. The person that steps up to my bank teller wife that she's told me many times has grabbed the hand of somebody and said, hey, can I pray with you? We're in a bank. I know we're gonna have teller church. Because today is only a celebration of all those things. Religious people are more focused on the gifts. Relationship intimate people are more focused on character. Religious people are more focused on performance, prefer the platform. Relationship people are more focused on spiritual deposits in others. They prefer divine appointments. Religious people say, show me the results. And they evaluate the leaders of a church based on what they think should be the results. The relationship intimate person says, show me the spiritual growth and the depth of the people in the body. The religious person says, is overcritical, overly critical. The relationship person brings life to people when they speak to them and sees the best in them and not the worst. The religious person pursues to confront people. The relationship person pursues to bring life to people. Religious people are concerned about what other people say about them. Relationship people are concerned about what Jesus says over them. Religious people follow rules and Godly people are led by the Spirit, not by rules. So let's get down. Here we go. I'm going to get to this nitty-gritty, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to end. This is where it really, really gets hard. 
There is, um, I want you to go to, let's see where we can go here to really mess with you. Um, let's go to Matthew 7, 21. Because I really want you to see the severity of this and that it really, what I'm saying is really true. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let, let's be real. So, so there's a difference between the word Lord and Savior, right? If I make him my Lord, I am serving him with all of my life. But just because you call him Lord doesn't mean that's who you are. Not all those who say, Lord, Lord, <clears throat> will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, and this is where it gets scary, Lord, Lord, but did we not prophesy in your name? Did I not lead worship at Providence Community Church? Was I not a part of Family Fun Day? And in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. Hello? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So how do I get to know who Jesus is? I get to know who Luke Flickinger is. You know how I get to know him? Because I built a gaga pit with him. Because I put up basketball hoops with him. And you know what we did? We, we actually talked to each other while we did it. And you know what I'm getting to know about Luke Flickinger? A lot. I'm building an intimate relationship with Luke Flickinger because we've hung out together and we've talked about our lives. The, the most important value system in me at some point, wherever I got wrecked on this journey, is the value system I have here to go sit with him and be alone with him. It's called intimacy with Christ. Anybody can pray. Not everybody knows how to be intimate. Intimacy isn't a separation alone. Intimacy is an all-day lifestyle. So when the Holy Spirit says to me in Target, go over to this 19-year-old girl and share Jesus Christ and what he has shown me, then Jason goes over and he says to Caleb Kinsley, you got to go with me because this girl's like 19, I'm 35, and I'm a giant. And I'm going to freak her out if I go by myself. And so they go together, why? Because they're listening to Jesus and they're obeying what he tells them to do because they know him. Our life ought to be a series of being led by the Holy Spirit. That's what it says about the sons of God. Not a set of rules and regulations and a Sunday morning attendance. This right here will always be about the celebration of my personal life all week long and where I've been able to have divine appointments as God has put them in my path. Isn't that what Jesus' life was all about? I always have been enamored by the fact that Jesus Christ, sent from heaven, stops with the Samaritan woman at a well, him and her, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. She had lived with five guys, or she had been married five times and was currently living with a guy, but he sat down and he loved her. The Son of God. 
can I ask you a question? In the intimate journey of your life, how many times do you allow your life to be interrupted by a divine appointment? Or is it even on your radar to be led by the Spirit of God through the week? Or are you waiting for Sunday? And if Sunday comes and goes and you hear the Word of God, and then you say something crazy, which I've heard over all my years of ministry, I'm not getting fed at that place. Excuse me, if you're not getting fed at that place, it's because you're expecting the spoon to feed you, and you need to get off the milk of the Word, and you need to get into the meat. But it's your personal responsibility of intimacy, not the person standing on the platform. It's never been me feeding you or you get offended because I didn't. It is you being fed by your own intimate journey with Jesus. And then if you're just a little bit further ahead than your neighbor, you walk over there with a meal when they're gone through a trial and you serve. There's no platform. There's no human audience. There's no applause. You're just being Jesus to somebody. All right, I I have to read this. First Corinthians. Gosh, it's really. This is where it collides with our culture. First Corinthians 5. I'm just going to start reading. Verse number nine, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. It's in the Bible. Jump down to verse nine, chapter six. Or do you not know what wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters Um, nor adulterers, nor men who have had sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me end with this one. Galatians chapter five. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, partying, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us stay in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. See, you can come and say all the right things and sing all the right songs, but if you're not living it when you go home, then it doesn't matter. Then you're a Pharisee. 
will you have a moment of sexual immorality? If you're a guy, the chances are more likely than not. It's called pornography. I've read the statistics. Have you? I know my own challenges. Do you? And it's not if you sin. It's if you come to the cross and repent and hate sin. But if you come into the house of God and claim to be a brother or sister and you live a lifestyle of sin, we got a whole other ballgame. Then you've made the road wider than Christ has allowed. And eternity will not be what you think it is. So I want everybody to close your eyes, bow your head. I could go to a whole bunch more scriptures that make the road real narrow. But I'm counting on the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. I am thrilled that you're at church, but I'm not thrilled that you're satisfied just doing church. I pray that the character of Christ and who you are is smelling more like him is looking more like him and acting more like him. This whole series through life is about becoming more like Christ. And when sin is there, just hating sin, being willing to and look in the mirror and say, I am the chiefest of sinners. I need Jesus Christ. Here's good news. You ready to end on some good news? Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. There's hope. There's hope. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not a work. He's already paid the price. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody's got their eyes closed, and I'm not going to have anybody stand or raise a hand or come forward. I'm going to have you make eye contact with me. If you know that you have more Pharisee in you than you want to have, and you know that just praying a prayer is not it, that it really is repentance, and living a lifestyle that hates sin and lives the narrow path. I'm gonna start over on my right, your left, and I'm gonna just look for those that say, you know what, Tom, I need Jesus Christ and I need to be set free. I need him. I'm just going to ask you to make eye contact with me and I'm going to pray for you and with you. Jesus is the answer. He's given the grace for you to lay your sin down and to come to him and where the road's not narrow, tighten the road again. Just make eye contact with me. I'm gonna keep coming across the room. I, there's, there's a bunch of people that have made eye contact with me and I, I appreciate your honesty about where you're at. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.